Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, and welcome to Newsweek's Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. On today's episode, I'm talking with Lisa Simpson. Well, not really, but kind of. Yardley Smith, the brilliant voice actor behind Lisa Simpson, joins me to talk about The Simpsons, of course, her incredible true crime podcast, Small Town Dicks, which is my favorite name for a podcast ever, and our shared love of food that she's putting to good use with her oil and water digital series. And of course, we'll talk a little bit about her path from being an actress to being a multi-hyphenated powerhouse of producing, podcasting, and acting. She does so much. So go on, grab a snack, because I'll be right back. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. I've always thought that each character on The Simpsons fits an archetype that we all can relate to. You know, maybe you're a Bart or a Marge or even a Homer and if that's the case, like if you are a homer, I really hope that you have a job with very little responsibility. But ever since I was a kid, I've been a Lisa, bookish, a bit weird, definitely an outcast. So you can imagine how excited I was to talk with Yardley Smith, the voice that brought Lisa Simpson to life. But beyond the Simpsons, Yardley Smith and I have a lot in common, especially in one area. We're both fascinated by true crime, which she's turned that passion into a podcast called Small Town Dicks, a show that follows big-time crime in small-town USA with all the cases told by detectives who investigated them. But over the course of my conversation with Yardley, I came to realize that she really does personify the spirit of Lisa Simpson, that even though the world might hold you back professionally or creatively, one way or another, Yardley is going to find a way to stay creative. So I want to start off with a question that, like, 
I was thinking about, okay, I want to talk about your podcast, of course, which is amazing. And also you're like the cooking things you do. And I want to talk about all those things, but I feel like I would be remiss not to just ask you from the very beginning, how often do people ask you to do the Lisa Simpson voice? Like a it, lot. Is it every day? <laughs> <laughs> Kinda. Yeah. Kinda sorta. Yeah. Um, slightly less every day since the pandemic, since for two years nobody yeah. left their house. Yeah. Um, but they, yes, you know, when they recognize me in the supermarket or out on the street, um, actually, oftentimes they go, oh, my God, you're Bart Simpson. And I'm like, mm, nah, no, close, no, <laughs> Lisa Simpson. And then <laughs> also, I would say at least 33% of the time they go, oh, you play the baby? And I'm like, okay, the baby doesn't talk, so that wouldn't be much of a job. Uh but some yeah, but a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, right? Oh, that's so, so I, and I would be remiss if I didn't do Lisa Simpson for you on an on an interview. So Don't. this is me. This is Lisa Simpson. <laughs> Hi, Alan. Do we call you Alan or we call you H? H. Allen. H. Allen. H. Allen. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> it's so great to be chatting with you. I'm always honored to be asked to participate. I am floored. You have no idea. (laughs) I once went to one of the highlights of my life. And, you know, of course, there are many highlights because I feel very blessed. But one of the highlights of my life has been to go to a reading of the (gasps) Halloween horror. It was a couple of years ago. You got to go. I got to go sit in the room. This is very pre-COVID and sit in the room. And and I don't believe you were there. I think you were on the phone, maybe. Oh, that's rare. I actually really. Maybe you were there. I forget. I forget. Because I I kept, I was like in the corner, just sort of being like, don't make eye contact. Be be nice. Don't disturb anybody. And it was so amazing. It was so amazing. It's a. I hope that we will, we're now doing our read-throughs over Zoom. Yeah. Just P.S. Zoom is a comedy killer. It's yeah. so bloody the hard. The worst. Because there's a slight delay and comedy, of course, all about timing. So yeah. the fact that we are, a, we've been able to churn out any episodes at all feels like a miracle. And also, as you know, I mean, as you say, I'm also deeply grateful to have not actually had any interruption in my employment, even yeah. with the pandemic. Um, but to your point, yes, we used to, and we hopefully will again, do these read-throughs all together yeah. in this room. And our showrunners like to have a little bit of an audience. So if you know somebody, you might be lucky enough to get an invitation into this well. really extraordinary experience, particularly if Dan Castellaneta, for instance, who does Homer and 15 other characters, regular characters, uh, to see him go from voice to voice to voice never gets old. I Isn't it mind-blowing? It's incredible to watch. It is just such a, I mean, all of you are incredible to watch. I, there's just like, like Julie Klaus, I have, there's so many people in that room that are just so incredible. And I, I'm just, I'm blown away and I'm blown away to be able to speak with you today. I'm just going to say, I told you before we started, but I'm going to tell you (laughs) that. Um, So your podcast, which is so fun. And you and I share a love of something that beyond the Simpsons that I am deeply fascinated by, which is true crime. Mm. And your podcast, Small Town Dicks, which is probably the best title for a podcast, in the history of podcasts. We can thank Detective Dan for that one. <laughs> <laughs> because it it immediately conjures up. It makes you chuckle a little bit. But then when you start listening, it's it's you realize you're getting like a it's a real true crime podcast. But 
it's 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 so interesting. How when did the idea first come up for the podcast? Um, well, I actually uh, a great story. I met Detective Dan at a Simpsons event out of town, and for any listeners who haven't heard Small Town Dicks yet, we don't. So detectives Dan and Dave, who are identical twins and with whom I co-host Small Town Dicks, we don't say their their last names. And so and when we talk about a case or and all of our cases are told by the detectives who investigated them, they, too, use first names. And we change the names of the victims really out of respect for what they've been through and not to hopefully further traumatize them. So I'm not going to tell you where the Simpsons event was, but I went to this Simpsons event. I wasn't supposed to be the one to go. Our showrunner, Al Jean, was supposed to go. And then literally at the last minute, he's like, I can't go. So they came to me and said, Yardley, you want to go? Unveil this mural. There was this huge Simpsons mural in 2014. Um, And I was like, no, no, I don't. I don't want to go. And they were like, oh, (laughs) God, please. Somebody has to go. And really, the long and the short of it is I will do anything for my show. Yeah. Um, So it was a soft no. It wasn't a hard no. And uh, they were like, okay, great. Well, it's in a really small town. So you have to fly up the night before because there's only one direct flight from Los Angeles. I'm like, oh, shit. So I was like, uh, okay. Just, you know, curious, what kind of security do you have? And they're like, oh, we didn't think of that. So they go away and they come back a few days later and they go, okay, we're going to assign you a plainclothes detective. And that was Detective Dan. Oh, wow. And so we met that way and there was really something, and I was six years out of my second divorce and I hadn't dated since. Like I was done. I was yeah. done, done, done. Yeah. So I was in, by no means looking. And Dan was not in a relationship and he was done as well. And the funny thing is I found out after the fact that when the chief of police went to the pool of detectives and said, who wants to guard the celebrity? Nobody raised their hand. <laughs> and so Dan, at the time, being the most junior detective and he didn't, you know, he didn't have kids, didn't have a wife yeah. or anything. So he was like, all right, I'll do it. I'll take one for the team. So I really loved that neither of us wanted to go. Yeah, you both. I wasn't even supposed to go. Yeah. (laughs) And the universe was like, no, no, you both are going to go and you're going to meet. And uh, now we're eight years later, we're going to get married. That's so wonderful. Isn't it amazing that you can find my mother had that where she she was married to my dad for a long, for a longest time. And then she found they divorced and she found someone sort of unexpectedly. And made her so happy. Yeah. And so it's just such a one. And the fact that you and Dan, Detective Dan, I have to be formal, you and Detective <laughs> Dan have something in common that you can share creatively while at the same time also have this relationship. It's a, It must be a wonderful thing to have. It really is great. And I love Dave as well. His brother is just one of the best people you'll ever meet. A mm. man of such integrity and... Um, both of them really, they're both retired now, but they, they, their approach to police work really felt like a calling for them. It wasn't just a job, you know, and they were absolutely dedicated to doing it the right way. And so back to your earlier question, when I started dating Dan and I would, I would fly up to his home, to his home, uh, to his city, to his home state about every other weekend. And I would sit on the couch when 
Dave, would, who lived a block away, would come over on the weekend or on a Tuesday or on a Thursday. I would usually go like Thursday to Sunday. Right. And they would just download their week and it was jaw-dropping. And so oh. the idea of a podcast, because podcasts hadn't quite exploded the way they have now. Yeah. True crime hadn't, in, in the podcast space, certainly you didn't have stories coming from the source, like from mm -hmm. the detectives. You had a lot of people rehashing. And so, which is Fine, it's great, um, but in this case, it absolutely seemed like a no-brainer that the, it should come from the source. Yeah. So that's why, and originally, it was actually just supposed to be Dan and Dave, not me, not my former co-host. How did you get involved? Just them. And then they, well, it was funny because not everybody's that comfortable in front of a microphone. Yeah. And so when you put them in front of a microphone, the download they used to do on the couch was a little like, uh, well, um... <laughs> and uh, so they were like, no, no, we need you to ask questions because yeah. I no questions were off limits. So that's my role in the podcast where I will ask any question that comes to mind, whether it's a clarifying question or, um, you know, something where I'm like, that doesn't seem right. How is that possible? Why is that that way? Um, I think so I'm so you. Essential. I think that's so essential in a, I'm a fan of true crime podcasts and and what I think is so imperative is you have experts, of course, you have the people who can can speak to the legalities and the and the, the police work and everything that goes into investigating these true crimes that we naturally as humans have an interest in. It's like a car crash. We, we, we have to look at it. We want to know yes. what's going on. But we need that human connector in asking the questions that we would be asking as humans to a detective who might answer in a different kind of way. And that's you. I think that's yes. you play that wonderful role in that, but I, but you're, you're not a normal human. <laughs> in, that, in that, you have you. I mean, you're you're a celebrity, and also you're not just a celebrity. You're a celebrity that so many people have grown up with and hearing your voice and are yes. familiar with your voice, and you're a part of our family in a way because we know you so well, at least through your voice. We don't know you, but some people probably think they do, but they don't. <laughs> they know your voice. So, did you have? Any sort of, I don't know, reservations in sort of connecting because it's so different from The Simpsons, like how these two things. Did you have any reservations going into it? No, um, I really love people's stories. And my theory is everybody has a story. Everybody thinks their story isn't that interesting and everybody is wrong. Yeah, yeah. You must know because you do this all day. I love and, talking to people. Right? Yeah. And it's and. I often find when I listen, because I listen to a lot of podcasts myself, um, I love true crime and I loved it before I met Detective Dan. And, uh, but it's, it's the little offhand comments. It's the comments that come out of a, a maybe slightly too long silence. Mm. And the best hosts let that silence lie, right? right? Just let it be. And don't try to cover it with your own uncomfortability. So those, to me, are the golden moments. And you, if you allow somebody also to take their time in telling the story and expressing how they feel about, for instance, in this case, we always say law enforcement, essentially their job is every time they leave the house, chances are you're going to encounter somebody on their worst day. Yeah. yeah. So if you are that person... And you don't shy away from that. Where does it live inside you, though? 
Mm-hmm. So when you go home to be a father, a husband, a brother, um, or even by yourself, where do you put it? Yeah. And interestingly, all of them say, well, you basically, you just put it in a box. And then if you just sort of nod and go, hmm, and then you let that lie, they will also say, the trouble is the lock on the box isn't that good. Yeah, that's and it's You know, it's a really, it's such a complex job. And even as we have this very important conversation about police reform, I think there's room in the conversation for both sides to also show the side of law enforcement where people are very, are absolutely 100% dedicated to doing it the right way, yeah. to making sure that they don't violate people's rights, to making as few mistakes as possible, um, and really showcasing the complexity of the job. So yeah, um, and also- that isn't, yeah, it's, sorry, it's not what we set out to do, but it's certainly one of the artifacts of what we do. And I think what's so interesting about what you just brought up about police reform and 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 what needs to happen is that, you know, part of our job, I think, as storytellers, as communicators, is to be able to listen and to talk with people. And and by creating change, it has to come through communication and you have to talk. And that's I mean, I love to talk. It's why I get paid to talk. Like, I love it. I mean, you get paid more than me, but I love to talk. I want to talk as much as you do. And it's it's I think it's so important just to be able to communicate, not just with people you agree with, because I mean, you as a as a sort of a celebrity have been very vocal about things that you care about and causes that you care about. Yes. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And but you're still open to talk with people who are different from you, which I think is wonderful. And it's essential, I think. How else do you learn, right? Yeah. And how else do you fill in gaps you didn't even know you had? Mm-hmm. So it's been a really fascinating journey talking to all of these um, law enforcement personnel. We, you know, I have, I really have enormous respect for people who do something I could never do. Yeah. I could never do it. Yeah. I'm so I'm first of all I'm a recovering people pleaser. Yeah. And which is probably terrible for law enforcement. Although Dan and Dave will always tell you first and foremost it's a sales job. Hmm. So if you approach somebody let's say there's a they there's a lot of methamphetamine in their town and yeah. so if you approach somebody who's being disorderly and probably drugs are on board or alcohol or both mm-hmm. you know the approach isn't Hey, f- you, come on, you know, stop doing yeah. that. It is like, hey, man, what's going on? Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah. Like, when's the last time you used? Uh-huh. All right, well, listen, you know, you can't stay here. Uh, you got to come with me yeah. to really, really, really do your best, your level best to de-escalate first before things um, get hinky. And even if somebody, want, you know, a suspect decides, I'm going to fight, I want to fight. Mm. And they and they get into a physical fight. Dan and Dave always say, "Listen, I'm going to fight dirty and hard, right? Like right out of the gate, because the point is, I need you to keep you safe and to keep me safe. Like you can't get a hold of my weapon. Yeah. But as soon as the fight is over, all good, dude. Like no yeah. harm, no foul. Yeah, I'm not going to hold it against you. My no point is, I need to keep yeah. everybody safe, right? So, yeah. um." 
I, I just feel like you don't get that kind of nuance, certainly on the news or in a lot of true crime podcasts. So I'm very proud of what we do. Yeah, it's a great podcast. I really, really enjoy it. And I could talk about it for a very, very long time. <laughs> But I don't I don't want to necessarily keep you know keep you for that long doing that. So I will say I also need to talk to you about food, which is something we also have in common, which is the stupidest thing to say to someone we have food in common because like everyone has food in common. Like everyone yes, but in fairness, H. Allen, some people don't really love food. Some people eat to survive yeah. or to stay alive. Whereas there's those of us who worship food. I, I worship food. I, I do too. Worship food. And I love <laughs> what I love. I worship cooking. My mom was a baker. So I love that. I kind of, I got the baking gene. Sure. I can bake, but I also have the cooking side that my mom cannot do. Sorry, mom. And, <laughs> and, it's it's so exciting and thrilling. And what I love about what you do with oil and vinegar and with like, especially stupid, when you talk about the stupid good segments where oh yeah, you just do food that is just stupid good. Like, what is it about? Well, why did you want to do sort of like a, a social media, YouTube, Instagram series on just food? And what have you learned about yourself as a cook during the process? Um, those are good questions. So I started oil and water um, uh, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, maybe during the pandemic. And it was really, I just needed some dumb entertainment for troubling times. Yeah. So, and I'm a good cook and I just thought, ah, f*** it. And I, and I actually started oil and water making a Simpsons recipe. There is an Mm. old Tracy Allman short where Homer makes dinner for Bart and he smushes together ground fish and ground pork and makes a porkified fish nugget. (laughs) And I thought, well, why not? I mean, why not start there? So I made them, and actually, it was not terrible, it which, as we hard. learned, on oil and water is high praise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I used sole, right, which is very mild fish, yeah, and fresh ground pork, obviously, and I seasoned it, and then I rolled it in panko, and then I fried it. And then I had two sauces. I think I had um, like an aioli, and I had a barbecue sauce, mm. and... I was like, okay, all right. That aioli sauce sounds delicious. Yeah. No, it was really quite good. Yeah. So then I had this idea, would it, wouldn't it be funny to have a show where you only combine ingredients that wouldn't ordinarily go together? So that was how I started. I'm going to draw a random sweet ingredient, random savory, and then a random thing. Like yeah. it's a pandowdy, It's a cake. It's a casserole. It's a scramble, whatever. Yeah. And then I got tired of putting sardines in my ice cream and I morphed it into stupid good. Where I now just cook recipes that are supposed to be good, but I hope that when I make them, they will actually be stupid good. They're so good. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, I mean, what I love about, I I watched a few and I I will say I related to you. I mean, I feel like I relate to you in general, but like I related to you so hard in that you you do the recipe, right? You do the, how it's told, how you think, how you're interpreting the recipe. And it's going okay, but then it doesn't necessarily look the way it's supposed to. It doesn't at all look like it's supposed yeah. to. <laughs> and I'm terrible at plating food anyway. That's I will say where yeah. I fall down is I have no presentation. Yeah. Um, but I... What I've learned is... And re- one of the things, because I, I, we're sort of... We're not really a cooking show. We're trying to do a cooking show in about six and a half minutes. Each episode's about six and a half minutes. Yeah. Some are a little bit longer, but mostly not. And um, so it's hard to cram all that in there. Yeah. But we always put a link to the recipe, obviously. But what I've learned is there are very few fatal mistakes in the kitchen. 
Yeah. So even if something goes off the rails, even if you combine things in the wrong order, yeah. Like I made biscuits in the last stupid. I watched good. that one. Yes. Oh my God, H. Allen. I mean, it was a <laughs> train wreck. It was a <laughs> train wreck. They didn't look so and, bad though. They looked oh, like delicious. Well, and it's funny. I overrode my instincts because the recipe says it should be shaggy. The dough should be should be shaggy, and I'm looking at it, I'm like. Mm, that's a little wet. I don't think we're at shaggy yeah. yet. And I was right. Mm -hmm. So my biscuits didn't rise at all. They were absolutely flat as a pancake. <laughs> but the flavor was out of this world. And that's all that matters. Right? And yeah. so basically I had like little biscuit crackers. <laughs> is what British. I ended up with. Yeah. Which were fabulous. Well, so, I mean. So, you know. It worked out in the end. And I, I can't. You have no idea how often I make a cookie. And I'm like, no, it doesn't look great. But it but tastes dang. Good. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, also, I have to say, there's a lot to be said for the food photography that's on the internet these oh, days, yeah. which is exquisite. And while we put pictures of the finished dish on Stupid Good, Oil and yeah. Water presents Stupid Good, I guess, uh, yeah. it's they're not great photos. It's hard to do, dude. Well, I feel hard. I so relate to that because I I'm not I don't I don't know how to do photography. I don't know how to promote myself. I can talk. All I do successfully is talk and <laughs> everything else is sort of mediocre. And so, like, I let like people like my boyfriend to be like this. You do the photograph. Like, yes, you, you do that part. You know how to do that. I'll make sure that we stay alive through like talking ourselves out of a situation. Right. You do that. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that, by the way, is a superpower. I mean, there's that I, I that I think you're selling yourself short by not <laughs> identifying that as an incredible superpower. So I only had two more questions for you. I, I, I the, when I feel like in watching The Simpsons, everybody has a character that they are. You know what I mean? Like they mm -hmm. have they relate to somebody. And I since I was a little kid and I, I kid you not. This is so 1000% true. I've always been a Lisa because I was a reader. I was the artsy kid. I was smarter than my brothers. Sorry. And <laughs> I, I was like, I was always sort of like a Lisa and I related. The outlier. I, yeah, exactly. And I wonder if, do you feel like you are a Lisa and like, what do you have in common with her? Do you think? Yes. Um, Lisa Simpson T serves a lot of uh, masters on this show. So I also know that Lisa Simpson is all of the writers, most of whom are male, yeah. um, all of their angst growing up. Like they get a lot of their sort of <laughs> what you were talking about and certainly what I went through as well um, through Lisa Simpson. I was, I you know, I, I did uh, pretty well in school, not super smart, like not, you know, academically book smart in that way. Um, but I, I was what I would call a floater. So I didn't, I didn't have any allegiance to one particular group, not the super smart nerdy kids. We didn't really have theater kids, even though I did tons and tons of theater yeah. in school. Um, we didn't have a theater club or anything. So, and everybody sort of liked me, but nobody really claimed me. Yeah. So, I but I do remember feeling really like I didn't fit in. Yeah. And so, um, and what I've learned from Lisa Simpson is, or at least certainly what I admire and what I aspire to is her resilience. Mm. Like Lisa Simpson has, 
for as much as uh, the joke is always at the beginning of the episode, they give her something and 22 minutes later, they've taken it away. And somehow Lisa Simpson is not face down on the floor <laughs> every single episode. Yeah. She manages to just uh, learn from the experience mm-hmm. and get on with it. And I, I'm certainly not as agile as that, but yeah. I, but I have, but I have taken stock of that. Like I really, I don't think you can play a character this long and not have her become a part of you. Yeah, definitely. Well, my last question for you is I, when I was, when we were setting this up, I was telling everyone that of course the Simpsons, I mean, I love you from the Simpsons, like Felby's <laughs> honest, like that's where it all started. That's where the love affair started. But I remember as a little kid, I was watching a Fox show called Herman's head and I, yes. I, I saw you on it, did not know you were Lisa Simpson at that point. And then I was like, wait (laughs) I had this so then we went away for like a vacation to like my family's like some lake thing that I was not I did not want to go I just wanted to stay inside and watch television and read but and we and I saw the legend of Billie Jean and I was like wait (laughs) there's so many moments in my life and then it happened again when I later so I became because of the Simpsons a huge fan of James L. Brooks, like oh, massive yes. beyond massive. I read, I read every single script. I, I would read episodes of Mary Tyler Moore that he wrote. Like I was obsessive about James L. Brooks. And when As Good As It Gets came out, I again had a moment where I was like, Lisa. Wait. <laughs> and me and my friends do the mirror scene from As Good As It Gets so often when we yes. don't, when we talk about how bad we look, we don't. <laughs> And we reenact your part in that scene because it's so emblematic of me looking bad, which I feel like I look bad most of the time. So it's, it's, I just, I had to, there's really no question there. I just had to share all of that with you. I love that. I, um, I, at the beginning of my career, I would say for the first 13 or 14 years, I had a really robust on camera career. Yeah. And the Simpsons, so I started working, I graduated high school in 82 and I got work right away. Mm-hmm. And I got wild reviews for doing this sketch comedy show at a good theater in Washington, D.C. where I grew up. Mm. And that led to an audition at Arena Stage where I did two shows and then I went and did another play and got a New York agent, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was on Broadway and... Um, so I was like, it was gangbusters. My yeah. plan for world domination was going exactly as planned. <laughs> and, uh, and then I came to Los Angeles cause I got a Los Angeles agent in 85, mm-hmm. 85, I think maybe 86, I forget. And I got the Simpsons in 87. So even as my on-camera, so I was doing Herman's Head and The Simpsons at the same time. So yeah. I was working like crazy and I loved it. Yeah. And so the sort of the the takeaway, the the kernel of wisdom in this trajectory where I had had no acting lessons, I had no mentors. And I'm telling you that because in some ways it was like I built a house without any foundation. Yeah. So when after about 14 years, my on-camera career really started to slow down for no explainable reason that I could see. Yeah. Um, Just the business was changing and I was getting older and et cetera, et cetera. my, My identity crisis came because I had my, I defined myself by my work. Mm. I am what I do. Yeah. And then when I couldn't do it as much as I wanted, I honestly didn't know 
what to do or who I was. And I had this massive crisis of confidence. Thank God I still had the Simpsons because it kept the lights on and yeah. um, I was still able to be creative. And But, uh, you know, the on-camera career never came back as robustly as it had in the beginning. And and it's and I, and now I have a production company called Paperclip Limited, and yeah. we develop scripts, um, and we're doing really really well. And my business partner that I've had for at least I think about fifteen years now, Ben Cornwell, Cornwell co-founded it with me, and and that's been really interesting. But I was very late to that multi-hyphenate game, you know, yeah. actor, producer, baby, baby. I was like, I don't. Want to do that? I'm an actress. What I do is there's an audition and I go get the job. Can I just do that? And the answer was no. Yeah. But I dragged my feet probably for a decade. In the meantime, you know, I did a one woman show and I wrote a novel. And so I was busy, but it wasn't what it was. My plan for world domination had not been realized. And I was like, I don't know what's happening and I don't know how to fix it. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's it's been a. It's a lot like Lisa in a lot of ways too. Like you were saying, how you know starts at the top at the beginning of the episode, ends flat on her face at the end. But she finds a a, resili- a resilience in the way that she figures out how to maintain while also, in a way, kind of succeeding personally. It's never it's never triumphed from the others. It's always a personal achievement for her. And I, I think I find a lot of strength in that. You know, like, I agree. I, I think. What I love about Lisa is she does exactly what you said, and and there's no self-blame. I think yeah. certainly, and that's the piece that I really suffered from. I just felt like, I felt like a loser for so long. Oh, you know, well. I just felt so like, well, shit, I just have not, uh, what do my, all my teachers used to say in grade school? Yardley's not living up to her potential. <laughs> and that's what I, I was like, God! You branded me. You branded me. <laughs> so I've carried that always. I had a teacher who, who once told me to be quiet in class because I have a voice that carries. And I I, I hated her ever since. And I'm like, yes. well, now I'm making a living off of See? it. So thank See? You. We have that in common, too. Because yes. and my mother used to say, you have a voice that could cut glass. Oh. And I'm like, nice. And then, of course, all the kids would tease me for my high nasally voice. I'm like, well, who has the last laugh now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have fun, guys. I'm I'm okay out here. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been. And, and I hope to meet you in real life someday soon. I would love and, that. Yeah, just so, so fun. Thank you again. Thank you, H. Allen. What a pleasure. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I can tell you right now that I have not recovered from Yardley Smith saying my name in the Lisa Simpson voice. Like, I can die now. I hope I don't, but it would be okay if I did. But before any of that happens, there's a lot to be excited about for the next episode of The Parting Shot. Easter is coming up and you can't miss it. From displays in stores to commercials on TV, it's everywhere. So being the good Jew that I am, I figured, let's do a Passover episode. 
Why doesn't Passover get the display at Target? Where's the Passover Reese's candy? So to go over everything Passover, I've invited my favorite fellow Jews on the podcast to talk about Passover. Iconic comedian Judy Gold will join me. So will Broad City's Elliot Glazer and cook Jake Cohen, who I'm obsessed with. So even if you're not Jewish, you're going to love this episode. Trust me. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. If you like what you just heard, please leave a little rating and review and definitely share it on social media and tag me. You can follow me at H. Allen Scott on everything. For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day. Thank you.